May the God who has called all of humanity to the table of love and forgiveness be with you now and always. Amen. Let us pray. O God of community, love, and reconciliation, we come before you on this divine day with humility, gratitude, praise, and unconstrained joy because your love knows no bounds. come before you, God, because no hindrances or obstacles, including those we have created, can impede your creative, transformative, and redeeming love from accompanying us on all sides as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. On this day, we pause to celebrate a leader who worked diligently to give shape to a beloved community, a community of love and hope and compassion for our neighbors. We praise and worship you for altering our understanding of whom we love. God, we welcome you unconditionally, which is in the manner that you welcome us. We present ourselves before you, broken, hurt, and even shattered, seeking to be reconciled forever to the loving embrace of your holiness, your wonder, and your kingdom. As we participate with you in co-creating a beloved community, fortify us with the confidence of your presence and your peace. In your name, with the community of the human family, we pray. Amen. Congregation, please be seated. The question should not be, what would Jesus do, but rather, more dangerously, what would Jesus have me do? The onus is not on Jesus, but on us. He came to ask human beings to live up to their, fuel, their full humanity. He wants us to live in the full implication of our human gifts, and that is far more demanding. Peter James Gomes, The Scandalous Gospel of Jesus, 2007. Above all, we must be reminded anew that God is at work in his universe. As we struggle to defeat the forces of evil, the God of the universe struggles with us. Evil dies on the seashore, not merely because of man's endless struggle against it, but because of God's power to defeat it. Martin Luther King Jr., Struggle to Love, 1961. The aftermath of nonviolence is redemption and reconciliation. This is a method that seeks to transform and to redeem and win the friendship of the opponent and make it possible for men to live together as brothers in a community and not continually live with bitterness and friction. Love is creative and redemptive. Love builds and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. Physical force can repress, restrain, coerce, destroy, but it cannot create and organize anything permanent. Only love can do that. Yes, love, which means understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill, even for one's enemies, is the solution to the race problem. Martin Luther King Jr., 1957.
The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that transforms opponents into friends. It is this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. Martin Luther King Jr. facing the challenge of the new age, December 3rd, 1956. This ends the reading. Good morning. So I want to focus my talk today on opening the heart, and finding compassion in the heart as a means of developing community. When Scott introduced, when Pastor Scott introduced the chapel theme, Room at the Table to Me, it really appealed to me. When I first got to Cal Lutheran, I wasn't exactly sure how I fit in, spiritually, that is. I was raised with a lot of Eastern influences in my life. My dad was raised by a Southern Baptist and a Mormon. Uh, my mom, a South Dakota Methodist with a grandfather Methodist minister, uh, married my dad, moved to San Francisco in the mid-60s. Now, they didn't quite become hippies. My dad was in the military, so that kind of disqualifies him. But the counterculture certainly did rub off on them, particularly as it related to religion and art. So as a child born in the 70s and growing up in the 80s, I had to bear the brunt of that spiritual influx of Eastern philosophy that found its shores in the United States. So I grew up being introduced to yoga, transcendental meditation, and I talked to my mom a lot about auras. So this upbringing instilled in me a sensitivity um, and an alertness about people who might be underserved, people that might have a different perspective on life, different philosophy, certainly a perspective about people who were politically or, or economically without power. And I was a true Gen Xer. And growing up in Southern California in the, sub, in the suburbs, um, it was a big burden when you're just trying to be popular and fit in. Fast forward to 2006, I can't believe it's about 10 years ago, I took the job at, at Cal Lutheran, I get to a Christian school in my hometown. Uh, I remember in the first few days I went to lunch uh, with the Office of University Ministries and, and Pastor Melissa at one point in the conversation asked about my religious upbringing and I said, well, it's kind of like Heinz 57. I wasn't exactly sure how to talk about my religion, my spirituality, how would this fit into this institution I was, I was getting to know. I hadn't meditated in years, though taught at eight, eight years old how to do that. I think at the time my head was pretty big and my heart was pretty small. Enter Howie Wenis. So here's an old white dude who spoke a different language. Um, it wasn't about how he spoke, however. It was about what he communicated with his spirit. Mitzi, my wife, and I got to know Howie and Mary Wenis uh, through golf. Uh, another aspect of my spirituality, but that's a separate chapel talk. Um, but I got to watch how Howie steered, steered a, a ship in troubled waters. Uh, 
Um, he was interim president at Cal Lutheran a couple of times. And he had a mantra, make room for the spirit. At least some of you get it. Make room for the spirit was something that, that uh, was uh, a regular phrase. Um, I think he put it on the, the, the plaques that he gave to the VPs at the end of his, his time. It started to sink in with me, the universal power of what it means to make room for the spirit. Buddhists practice meditation to cultivate awareness, mindfulness, and a connection to our heart center. Compassion and equanimity flow from us when we are able to move from our heads to our hearts. It is in states of mindfulness that we rec recognize our interconnectivity to all beings. Dr. Martin Luther King said, all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied together into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We aren't going to have peace on earth until we recognize the basic fact of the interrelated structure of all reality. So, what do a Southern Baptist from Georgia and a Vietnamese monk have in common? Well, I could say that Dr. King and Thich Nhat Hanh, pictured above, were both nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, but their connection is their like-minded commitment to peace. Thich Nhat Hanh, today 87, is a global spiritual leader, poet, scholar. He's published over 100 books, 40 in English, probably second only to the Dalai Lama in terms of his, his world influence and bringing mindfulness and Buddhist practices to the West, to the globe. He published a book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. It was published in 1995. I read it a couple of years ago. I found it to be a moving statement on the, on the synergy between the Christian faith and the Buddhist faith with regard to, to mindfulness. He says, just as a flower is made only of non-flower elements, Buddhism is made only of non-Buddhist elements, including Christian ones. And Christianity is made of non-Christian elements, including Buddhist ones. At the time of the photo above, Nhat Hanh was an outspoken critic of the Vietnam War, condemned by both sides for not taking a side. He and King first met in 1966, when Thich Nhat Hanh was traveling through Europe and the United States, making a case for peace in Vietnam. The two became friends. Dr. King ended up nominating Thich Nhat Hanh for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1967. In his nomination letter, King talks about what it would mean to give this prize to Nhat Hanh, saying that men of goodwill stand ready to lead warring elements out of an abyss of hatred and destruction. It would reawaken men to the teachings of beauty and love found in peace. It would help to revive hopes for a new order of justice and harmony. Dr. King used to speak of an agape love, Greek for the highest form of love. He used this as a strategy for us to not focus on the men and women who, who are potentially causing destruction, but the hatred in their hearts that need to be destroyed. He embraced the idea of a beloved community as a metaphor, a vision of a total integrated human family, unconcerned with human differences. The beloved community was an organizing principle for King. It became a lifelong commitment for Nhat Hanh when King passed away. To cultivate a beloved community, one grounded in justice, love, and the dignity of all human beings is to cultivate our hearts 
and find inner freedom. If we become too busy to find our heart center, the place of compassion, we run the risk of retreating to the comfort of like-minded or to a place of fear. I can think of nothing more needed in today's world than to find our heart center. Retreat leads to separation. King pointed out in his letter from a Birmingham jail that separation leads to segregation. He said, isn't segregation an existential expression of man's tragic separation, an expression of his awful estrangement, his terrible sinfulness? I believe that making room for the spirit is a means by which all humans can cultivate compassion and, and peace no matter what religious or spiritual tradition they come from. Peace weaves its way through all religions. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you. Paz sea contigo. Peace be with you. Or in the Hebrew tradition, or the Jewish tradition in, in Hebrew, tikkun alam, heal the world. So consider the way you find inner peace. Connect to your heart center. Whether in prayer or meditation, we can all find stillness that helps us see and listen deeply. The fruits of those mindful moments are understanding, acceptance, joy, and the desire to end suffering. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Can I see you smile? So, what all of us have a worldview, and what Dr. King did was provide us with a moment in history to alter our worldview. So today, does anybody watch the Oprah Winfrey show? You can, you can nod, okay, you can smile. So today, in the narthex, we have lenses, frames, frames or glasses. Now these frames, these glasses, are not just to shade your eyes from the sun, but they will be a symbolism of our new, of seeing the world differently. So I encourage you to pick your frames and to wear your frames, and as you wear them, let it remind you of your commitment to see the world differently and essentially do things differently with regards to peace and social justice. So now join me in the narthex. <laughs> 